Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. This is Nick Redmond. We are currently recording in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, temperature outside is about 68 degrees. I'm here with my good buddy, Alan. And we're going to talk about music, play some music, and uh, hopefully stay out of trouble. Yeah, man. All right. This song wrote a couple of days ago called Ocarina. Hey 
you taking the time man absolutely absolutely and so just um they'll see the video of you playing they'll be able to look at it and uh if you don't mind share that story again about this old guitar you're playing on well i got this from i don't know how many hands it's actually passed through but the legend of this guitar is mm -hmm. that chris bell um got in an argument with andy hummel both of these were members of a band from Memphis called Big Star. And, it, you know, Chris had supposedly gotten mad, um, and I'm sure, I don't know what date, but I'm sure it was in the late 60s or early 70s, had gotten mad at the bass player and broke his bass in half. Jeez. And so to retaliate, Andy Hummel went to Chris's job while he was working, and in the trunk, popped his trunk, found his beloved classical guitar mm -hmm. took a screwdriver and stabbed it right in there uh, right through the body and so in the video I guess you'll see the, that screwdriver hole yeah right in the top next to the neck now as the legend further goes big stars one of big stars more well-known songs called 13 was written on this guitar and this is of course according to Jody Stevens mm-hmm um, who was the drummer of the band. So, you know, I don't know how these stories get started, but the uh, inside of the guitar is handwritten the date that it was made, and that is 1964, so... Yeah. It all lines up in a way, you know? Yeah. You but, said Miami, right? Yeah, it's, it, so it's it was wild, built in Miami. I mean, how did it got, get up here? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? That's Rocky Balboa that's crawling around on the table right Great. now. Right. Got a little cat action. Yeah. Mancoon thinks he's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's got a personality disorder. Oh, man. He's checking everything out. Yeah, he's, he wants... I think he, he's, he's famous around here. You know, he's, he's famous on the block. <laughs> I guess he's trying to expand his horizons. Yeah, man. So, man, uh, just growing up, when did... When did you get into music and uh, I guess the influence behind that? Was it in the home or how'd that start for you? Well, how many answers did start out like that? Well, <laughs> I'm many. As far as my mother's side, I mean, it depends on how far back you want to go. My great-grandfather, Saul, he, he played violin and which is weird because he had my hands, which are big, fat fingers. Mm -hmm. So weird that he would play that instrument, you know. But his wife was actually a pianist, and they would travel around, um, and she would play for the silent movies. And so at that time, you wouldn't have any sheet music 
for a silent movie. You would go in, you would, you know, have a place you were supposed to be, supposed to perform, a venue. And you'd go in, and the only thing they would give you is excited, uh, scared. Liner notes, yeah. Just liner notes. And you had to improv the entire performance. Um, I'm sure some of it would never be ever heard again, you know. But you can imagine how cool that must have been as, yeah. a, as an audience member compared to how it is now. You know, you show up and this person just free flows. The, the They're watching this silent movie and playing at the same time and playing what comes to the emotion. To the emotion and on the spot, you know. Yeah. So... And they're carrying all the weight. It's a silent movie, and so that music is going to fuel the audience. That's it. That's it. That's the only thing you could hear. And so that's how she made her living, and he played in um, small troops as well. But that got carried on to my, my grandparents on my mother's side, and they were both um, musicians by trade. Mm-hmm. And so they were... One was a trombone player in big bands, um, a lot of the jazz bands, mm-hmm. um, traveling, union members. Um, and she was a cello player. And okay. so their big brushes with fame, I think, uh, weren't necessarily them necessarily becoming famous, but ne- playing next to people who did. You know, my grandmother was hired to play with the Bee Gees on tour. Couldn't stand their music, but she was, you know, she's a she, concert trained, you know, but she said that they. That actually, the brothers Gibb were uh, actually very well trained in theory, and she she actually had nothing but compliments about them. Wow! So I I just try to picture my my grandmother playing on "Staying Alive." Yeah. You know, yeah, I I just can't I can't see, but you know, they didn't have they weren't always uh, disco was something they ran with. It's like Garth Brooks going rock and roll. You know, uh-huh. he made his fame off of his country music. Well. Same thing. Like they, they weren't always a disco. They were, they were soul. They were a soul band, R and B. You know, they, yeah. And that's how they got famous. You know, songs like, um, um, oh gosh, <laughs> wow, I'm blanking now. But one of their big songs, um, oh help me out, Alan. It's the one that uh, Susan Marshall used to play this song at Neil's. Every other week, and man, she, man, she could play this song. So if there was only we had a device, I'm telling you, they could look up this. Where is this technology? This technology, um, Alexa. Alexa, <laughs> where are you? <laughs> but his uh, big claim to fame was he played next to John Williams in the army. Now John Williams would go on to he was a trumpet player at the mm-hmm. time, but my grandfather knew him as a kind of amateur composer and and trumpet player, played right next to him in the band. Well, John Williams would go on to play, uh, well, scratch that, he would compose film scores for Star Wars, Jurassic Park, uh, any, you know. I pretty mean, legendary soundtracks. Pretty legendary sound, to love somebody. That's the Bee Gees song. To love somebody. Oh yeah, uh, everybody's. Got you a cover don't of that. know yeah. what? That's not disco. That's that's R and B. It's R and B. Seventies R and B. So, but she wasn't a fan of the music. But she had high. No, compliments. she didn't have. She wasn't a fan of the music. They they were strictly jazz, big band, and and one hundred percent classically trained and 
anytime you'd go over to their house, that's what you were going to hear is classical music. And they knew it. They knew it all. They knew it like we know the Beatles catalog. They yeah. knew every single um, thing there was to know about it. He wrote his dissertation on Hungarian classical music. Wow. You know? But with that, you know, he, he was a hero of mine. Um, but I don't think I was necessarily set on a road to play music. I, I, I had a lot of energy as a kid, and I was yeah. put in gymnastics pretty early on, and that turned into a competitive. Um, so before I started touring in bands, I guess I was touring as a, on a boys' team, mm-hmm. um, going from city to city competing in gymnastics. And that lasted until I was about 15. I injured myself, and I wouldn't have ever been able to. I was trying to get to an Olympic level, but I wouldn't have ever been able to make it with the injury that I had. So I kind of started teaching for a while mm-hmm. and looking for something else to do, you know, because I loved gymnastics. I, it was my life up until that point. Sure. And, I mean, I remember going to school and I couldn't take tests because my hands were bandaged from, you know, the skin being ripped off of them yeah. in, in eighth grade, you know. Uh, I got sent to the principal's office for that. Mr. Redman is refusing to take his test, and I couldn't hold a pencil. Yeah. Oh man. Right. You what know, do you want me to do? And what do you want me to do? Put you know. My finger. So yeah, right. <laughs> I'll take the test, but it's going to be contagious. You know. <laughs> the thing is, is I've ended up bored. Always saw my dad had a guitar. Yeah. So so all that music was on my mother's side, right? Yeah. But she didn't play an instrument. She she doesn't sing. She doesn't. She likes. She likes. I mean, let's see. She, her preferences in music aren't. She doesn't. She likes music, but yeah. you don't hear her talk about it much. You yeah. know. Um, my dad was a no music on his side of the family. Yeah. But he taught himself to play guitar, so he had a guitar in the closet. Always did. Kind of put it away while we were growing up. And I noticed that once I started asking about the guitar, he started kind of like his interest, you know. It repeats. Yeah, like kind of he started getting back into it. And so he was like relearning the guitar and showing me at the same time everything he knew. That's you perfect. Know? And I would. How old were you at this point? I was probably 15 years old, 14, okay. 15 years old. And uh, maybe 16. I, I honestly, that's, that's getting longer and longer ago. But it started to be kind of a thing that my dad and I just, you know, really bonded over. And what were some of the first songs, man? That y'all well, heard? he told me. He told me right off the bat. He said, uh, "If you can't," well, he used to play this game with me, and I guess he knew me better than I knew myself as far as getting me to getting that. Uh, um, wandering mind to stay in one place um, he would say okay well if you don't learn this song you don't know how to play guitar so you have to be able to play this song yeah. and then you can say you're a guitar player first time he did that was uh, with a song called Blackbird by the Beatles yeah right so you know yeah it's all up and down the neck Blackbird uh, <laughs> you know it's all all over the place but he uh I, man, I must have 
tore my hair out uh, trying to figure out how to play that song. And eventually I got close, and I played it for him. And he goes, that's really good. That's really good. However, if you don't know how to play this next song, then you don't know how to play the guitar. Yeah, raise this the went on. Yeah, and this went on. And li- later I found out he was just kind of whatever song he wanted me to learn how to play so he could sing or play to it, that's what he was doing. Yeah. So maybe he didn't know as much as, you know, maybe he didn't have a plan after all, but it worked. Yeah. And it, and it got me to learn all of this music that I never would have known about. That, Beatles music, classic rock music, um, you know, 60s, 70s music that would shape my view on music other than what was in front of me at the time, you know. So I grew up hearing nothing but classical from my grandparents mm-hmm. and just being preached opera and classical. Sure. And then my dad starts hitting me with, with rock and roll, rock and roll, rock and roll. And, but then what was in front of me at that period of time was bands like the Smashing Pumpkins. You know, so I'm I'm like staring at all these different, wildly different styles of music, and they're all very important to me, and and, and very, uh, you know, the Did, uh, the alternative was the more rebellious teenager mm-hmm. side. The uh, classic rock was man, I love this music, but I love it mostly because my dad loves it, and you know, and. Then, of course, the classical music, it was just always a part of my life. It was just kind of like, well, that's there, like table salt and, and, and pepper. You yeah. know, it's just, it's just there, you know. When uh, discovering Smashing Pumpkins, man, and like starting to do covers, did you, uh, did you get addicted to the Billy Corgan chords? Like, uh, you know, remember Silver Sun Pickups? They had that song called oh, Lazy yeah. Eye. And oh, yeah, was like, total ripoff. I was like, that, that, is, that is the Smashing Pumpkins, yeah. you know. Uh, it even he's even kind of sounds like him, you know. Yeah. But uh, sure, yeah, and and gosh, you know, I, to this day, I gotta say, their music and it was such a huge influence. That and Metallica. Yeah. Metallica was like perfect for me because it was a combination of classical music and 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 alternate rock and roll. You know. Sure. It was just. You know, their first three records were with Cliff Burton on them. You know, uh, he was classically trained. Mm-hmm. And they talk, he, you know, they'll, tell, they'll be the first to tell you in interviews um, that Cliff Burton was the, the mastermind behind those epic, you know, they, they weren't just songs. They were, they were, they had the form of classical music. Right. You know, they were, there were movements within those songs. And, you know, some of them were just, instrumental pieces you know and it, it was just it was like I had died and gone to heaven you know I'm like oh, yeah. so naturally I, I respected them so much I followed them throughout their whole career went and saw them play three times although my first concert was the Smashing Pumpkins okay so it was at the Pyramid when back when it wasn't a Bass Pro Shop it was at a concert venue here in Memphis and for anyone who doesn't know what the Pyramid is it is literally Pyramid. A pyramid. And Bass Pro Shop. Yeah, you know. because apparently there's a a uh, Memphis, Egypt. Why that has anything to do with Memphis, Tennessee, I don't know. You know, but I'm glad it's there. Yeah. But I remember my dad taught me, or took me to see, see that, and uh, consequently that's when I smelled pot for the very first time, was that night. And I, I said, man, what does that smell? It didn't smell good or bad, it just smelled funky. Like, is something like 
you know, you never smelled anything like that, but it lingers with you. You know, it, it, you don't forget it. Uh. You know, you don't forget that smell. And I don't know, it, it had a very curious, you know, it leaves a curious impression in your mind. You know, like, what? Because what I, I knew what it was from, you know, this is pre-internet, guys. Yeah. So, showing my age a little, but you couldn't go on the internet and couldn't research, like, what is what was that I smelled at the concert? You know, it was word of mouth. You know, everything was word of mouth. So, it was all drugs and alcohol at that period of time. They traveled more instead of, like, seeing someone on Instagram do it. They were they were legend. They were of legend, of myth. Oh yeah, you know, and I, I think that probably had a lot to do with kids and and their first exposure to those kinds of things. You Dude, know, whereas now it's totally different. You know, it, it really was urban, man. Because I remember um, back in my early pothead days, and um, hell, we were in Memphis, and uh, we come up here for one of the Bill Street Music Festivals, and the people that we were staying with, they was like, "Y'all ever done a?" A dry grab, and it's like we do water grabs, mm-hmm. and they was like, "No, you take a bread bag, and uh, you fill it up with smoke." And, you, and I was like, "What is this madness?" I tell you what, and then like we started trading like ways we did it. Yeah, potheads are the most creative, inventive people, but only for smoking pot. Yeah, <laughs> nowhere else. Yeah, I, although I do believe that they're making fast food menus now. I I, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they if they took if you took a a a drug user's inventiveness and applied it to you know if if you if you told someone I'm gonna probably get in trouble for saying this but if you told someone addicted to crack like I'll give you a crack rock if you cure cancer probably be done within 24 hours I bet so (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) or or the way to the way to get your next hit. This obstacle is in your way. They they would solve it. Yeah, you know, and it's a crazy inspirational thing. But I saw it the other day. It was like I've never heard a crackhead or you know a drug addict say, "I don't have any cash. Guess I won't get high today." They find a way. They find a way. <laughs> you know, and and this could go on for their entire lives. Yeah. So, again, there's there's a, some serious brain brain power in there. It's just pointed in um, the wrong direction. Questionably, the wrong direction. You know, <laughs> it's, it, I, that's a whole other topic for me. You know, I I, I struggle with that one because yeah. I, you know, I think drugs and alcohol—that's all a choice. You know, and it's it's not the only person to judge someone for what they do with their time. I think is is God. You know, it, you can't say that someone over here is you're doing better than them or worse. You know. Because it's it's really, you know, it's all it's it's just subjective. It's their life. You know? yeah. Now, if they're hurting other people, it's easier to pass judgment. But you know, first one of the first rules, it, God says, don't don't judge. You know, mm-hmm. it's you just don't have the equipment to do it with. No, you know, uh, we're all coming from different lenses. You don't know how they got on it because no it could have been a car accident and now they're stuck on pain medication, but now it's heroin because they got off the pain meds. Man, they could have had their ass kicked every single day of their life growing up. Yeah. And that's how somehow, they do it. And somehow they dealt with it. So it's just impossible to, to say no, no, all drugs are bad. Now, you know, 
obviously they have the potential to ruin people's lives, and that's bad. Because mm-hmm. it's bad for them, you know. But how does that affect, you know, how does that affect you? And, and, and how much pain would they be in without them, you know? It's, it's just entirely too broad of a sca- subject to, for one human being to <coughs> be, be informed on, you know? Absolutely. I, I just... And, and let's be honest, you know, when you got the president saying, oh, I tried it, but I didn't inhale, well, come on. Yeah. There's, you know, I I just don't think that, they also say curiosity killed the cat, and it did. Yeah. Not my cat. Not yet. Not yet, no. He's he's eight, and he's he's very curious. And, it's a dog cat, no. Yeah, but he's a dog cat. <laughs> yeah, but I... I don't know how we got on this on this topic. It just rolls, man. Yeah. It just happens. Yeah. Rabbit hose. So stay out. Say no to drugs. Yeah, you know. We read a smash. But I don't judge you if you if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Smashing pumpkins. Smashing pumpkins. Pot, man. Now later, my dad would take me to another concert, Tom Petty, and oh man, from what I understand, after the fact, the. Security officers were instructed not to arrest anyone inside the premises for smoking pot that night. At least that's what you would have thought, because my look, just cloud of smoke, just next to me, in front of me, behind me, and I'm I'm 15 years old, and I'm just going, what is going on, you know? So consequently, you know, you you find yourself just thrust into the world of rock and roll which is one of curiosity and and myth you know and it's just larger than life and I think that's a part of segueing into the original question of how do you get into music well you throw in all that stuff happening and I guess I just kind of forgot about teaching gymnastics and I said man I like rock and roll yeah I like music you know, that's what I want. That's what I want to do. I want to. I. It just looks so shiny, and you know. But that again would be the next twenty years of my life finding out much different side of it. You know, much sure. different side. And I'm glad of for every step of the way. But it is not. It is far from what it appears to be on the surface. Mm-hmm. Good or bad. It's not what it looks like on the surface, you know. I can remember going to see bands that weren't real famous yet mm-hmm. and see them roll in, you know, later in my, my 20s. And I'd see them rolling in their tour vans and trailers, and I'd go, they're living... Like, that That to me looks like the most amazing lifestyle. They're the coolest people in the world. They mm-hmm. must be having the time of their lives. Well, later down the road, when I would tour with Star Micey for six years, yeah, there is that. There load are, in, loadouts are fun, right? Yeah, I mean, I remember helping these guys back in the day, like, load their equipment, because I thought it was fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And then now, you know, you, you're the one doing it, and you've got to do it. It becomes more of a job than it does fun, you know? But, but honestly, Star Micey... We had the best time on the road, and we we made the most of it. I mean, heck, I I met my my uh, soon to be wife 
because of storm icing, um, touring. She's from Montreal. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, man, and I'll say this, just uh, to say about the fun that y'all had is like still to this day, uh, the people who caught, you know, one of the shows y'all came to Columbus and do, like that is still one of the the main memories that they have is like, I'll never forget that show. Wow. Well, we, we won't either, you yeah. know, because we were having, if it, if, if it looked like we were having a good time, it's because we were. Yeah. <laughs> So I stayed at a buddy's house last night. He's he's one of the guys that caught the show. It was um, I don't know how many times y'all played the Princess. Was it twice? Oh no, we we probably played there. Now they call me Nick. Check your facts, Redmond. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna say we played there five times. Okay. It could have very very well been twice. Okay. Like I, I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like he caught it, I guess, maybe the second time y'all went and he was invited out. And he's still, like uh, when I told him I was coming up to do this, he's like, dude, he's like, that show was dope. <laughs> he I, said, it may be the best show I've ever been to. And I've been to a lot of shows since then. Well, man, we, we, we appreciate hearing stuff like that. Yeah, it, man. it makes it worth it in a, in a whole different way, you know. I mean, just some of the things that y'all have done over the years with the music videos, man. It was uh, you had the pirate, that was a lot of fun, and uh, what y'all did on the trolley. Oh yeah, and That's... the I can't wait video. Oh man, that was fun. Getting slapped, <laughs> getting slapped a lot. You know, not just a little, but a lot. In fact, I'm pretty sure I got slapped the hardest. It looked and, like it. Yeah, yeah it looked like they. She almost punched me. You know, <laughs> but. Like I said, man, Star of was founded on, on relationships, and it was never, it, it was never a job, you know, it was yeah. always, you know, we're getting, felt like kind of like we were getting away with something, you know, we're hanging out, it doesn't matter where we would go, in what city, in what town, and in some cases what country, we always found ourselves you know, you'd think, oh, this person, this person, this person, we'd spread out and we'd do our own thing. But no, we always would find ourselves laughing and having fun in the corner, you know, um, having just spent eight hours in the van together. Yeah. You know, you'd think we'd have to. I know. I mean, we really did. We really love being around each other mm -hmm. and making music together. I mean, nobody, nobody really. I think it's it's great to be able to say that after ten years with the band, because I mean, it's still going. You know, mm -hmm. got a couple new records that are ready to be recorded. That's know, awesome. Which we'll probably start doing this next year here in Memphis. We've always left Memphis to record. That's the weird thing, you know. Yeah. It's very bizarre. We did one in Valdosta, Georgia. We did one in uh, in Mississippi. We did two in Mississippi. Um, what, what part? Where was it? It was Oxford with a producer named Dennis Herring. And he, okay, yeah. He did a Modest Mouse, um, Ben Folds. Uh -huh. yeah, I think he's producing hip hop now, but at the point, he did the Hives and you know a bunch of bands like that. That's pretty prominent. Yeah, he was he was doing really really well. And uh, let's let's back this up a little bit. Before Star and Massey, uh, I guess before meeting Josh, um, you worked at Arden, mm -hmm. and also um, 
in his mind, it goes back to this with you and Jeremy when y'all were uh, co-hosting the open mic, for more singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. And uh, just take me back there. Uh, what was going on then? Like, I guess, where you were in your music. You were, were you pretty focused on being a solo act at that, at that time? No, I was doing it for fun. I, I was focusing on producing records. I was focusing on finding talent and not just someone to record but someone that I thought had a hit song and I would convince them to come into the studio and I'd record the song after hours you know mm-hmm. and then I would take the song to any one that I knew that could sign them or get it get it out get it out you know and I was doing this for free for a lot of local acts you know um I won't name names you know it's but I was just running around for a few years f- trying to find the best of the, the best, you know. And that's how I met Josh. Mm-hmm. Well, I met Josh through doing Neil's thing, but that was something I was doing for fun, you know. Just an outlet to play music. But I, my, my focus was engineering and producing records at that point. Okay. And... Uh, how did you get connected with them? Did you go to school for it? Well, actually, I walked in there one day and said, I want to work here. And they were like, well, you got to go to school and get a degree. And I said, okay, I'll be back. So I went and did that. And I, came, I literally came back and said, okay, I'm back. <laughs> and, they're like, and they said, okay, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> worked out pretty good. Yeah, it worked out all right um, at the time, you know. But... Um, so Jeremy was someone that I was kind of recording and courting, I guess you could say, as far as just convincing him, like, you know, hey, he had different bands at the time. And I was like, man, do something by yourself, you know, and maybe we can get you selling songs, you know, something like that. Um, but really, it was just him, myself, Brandon McGovern, and Van Duren, who is an amazing, also an amazing I mean, they're all amazing. Mm-hmm. But Van goes back to the 70s as well, the era of Big Star, as far as his uh, beginnings. Mm-hmm. And he just had a documentary made on him. But, you know, we're just sitting up. That's, that's Memphis for you, you know. You have this huge generational span up on a stage for free every Wednesday night. You know, and... you'd get some nights you'd have a packed house some nights you'd have ten people some nights you'd have one yeah and one we used to always have this thing where in the intermission we'd let anybody get up and play three songs and then we'd come back up Mm -hmm. and it was known as it was my favorite part of the night someone trying to get known yeah and because it would always be a bizarre I mean, sometimes I swear these people just picked up a guitar, you know. But their heart, you could see, like, the heart was what it was, you know. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that could drag on, you know. That's, of course, when you first start playing songs, a lot of times they'll they'll go on for seven minutes and intros that are for two minutes. And that's where a lot of these guys were, particularly um, they were, like, trying to play out and feel what it was like to play live. So 
sometimes it wouldn't be very polished. A lot of times it wouldn't be very polished, but it we we offered that outlet as a way to because Richard, who was doing Neil's sound at the time mm-hmm. and still does, he was he's he is the best sound guy in Memphis, Tennessee, and so. To, for them to be able to go from playing in their bedroom and then to go play on his setup up there was is is amazing yeah. feeling. You, I mean, it's necessary to grow as an artist. Well, Josh was one of those bizarre acts that got up one night and uh, per force. Yeah, you gonna sing the song, Rocky? <laughs> and uh, he gets up there and man. He was not like the others. I don't know how else to put it. He was not like what I was. We were used to seeing. Yeah. And at the time, I was trying to impress this this girl, and she knew him and was like, she introduced the two of us. Yeah. And oh well, Nick, you work at Arnett. You should record Josh. This is after he played the intermission, and I was thinking. Um, you know, yeah, well, you got a CD, you know, let's give him the rundown. And in most situations, I guess I would have not listened to most of the CD because I knew that I would be questioned on it and knew that I needed to, you know, see it through in case she asked me about it. Mm -hmm. I did. I went and listened to the whole CD at home and it was this CD that was scrawled with his name on it with, with, uh. I don't even think there was a number on it. I think I had to get that from somebody. But it just said Joshua Andrew Cosby. And on it was 24 songs. I'll never forget this. 24 songs of him in his living room with dogs running around. like It's like someone hit a record on a recorder, you know. And he's on a three-string banjo. And you would think, just from that description, like, well, that sounds awful. Alan, I'm telling you, it is one of the greatest CDs I've ever heard in my life. And these songs, the songs, man, were just... I went, oh, that's what I've been looking for. You've been bringing it. Yeah, I, that's what I've been... That's not what he played at Neil's that night. Nothing close to what he played at Neil's that night. I don't even know. I, I honestly don't even remember what he played at Neil's. It, it wasn't. It didn't resonate at that point. But that CD sure did. Yeah. And I spent the next month. I mean, I literally became a fan of those songs and knew them like the back of my hand before I ever contact got in touch with them. Yeah. I mean, how often? How rare does that ever happen? You know how many people give you a CD when you're making records? You know. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I gotta say, ninety nine percent of them are good, but they're not great. And you just—it's so rare. And this is on a burnt Memorex CD with the no, with a. It looked like he was in the in a helicopter when he wrote his name. Yeah. Later found out that's because he's got nerve damage in his hands and his hand shakes when he writes. But it. <laughs> you just can't make this stuff up, you know. I'm telling you. And so, at the time, I had a tape player. And I said, well, tell you what, before we go and, you know, oh, let's let's go back, getting in touch with Josh. He didn't have a phone. He, he had a rotary telephone in his house that never got answered. 
And so it would just ring and ring and ring and ring and ring. And honestly, I know he called me back, but it did take a month or two. I kept giving my number to his pothead roommate that would never deliver the message. And somehow it finally got through. Yeah. You know. And I I mean, his roommate was kind of like, it's kind of like Brad Pitt in True Romance, you know. Yeah. Just like. (laughs) But we eventually got together and I started recording on my little tape machine. That's the first time I made a recording of a song called So Much Pain. And the percussion was me, both of us, in the hallway of my apartment at the time, which is all old Midtown apartment. We would just use a boot with our hand in it, and, and that would be the cadence to the song. Uh-huh. And it would, but um, it was the same tape machine that Black Keys used to make their first two records. I know what you're talking about. And old Task Cam 388. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, one thing led to another, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the time, I guess I started out producing the band, and I was never asked to join. I just never left. <laughs> yeah. They needed guitar work. I didn't think they did, but the record label did. Mm-hmm. And, um, I thought it was... I kind of had Josh... I used to describe the early Star Micey when I was selling it as the Violent Femmes meets Michael Jackson. And I'm like, it's perfect. You know, it has the pop sensibility of Michael Jackson and the quirky and indiness of of the Violent Femmes and the lyrics that had the depth of the Violent Femmes. And I still think that was... Those songs were great, you know. But... In the end, the label wanted something that was pure three and a half minute radio, AAA radio ready, and that's what we gave them. And mm-hmm. so we took Josh's, Josh's songs and we made the first Star Mighty record. And I put guitar on every one of the songs. Um, their drummer quit in the middle of making that record. He agreed to finish it but we actually had Paul Taylor um, come and do a song. Um, we had Jody Stevens from Big Star come and do play drums on a song. We kind of filled out the ones after he quit with different guests. Mm-hmm. And uh, we put that thing out and on our label and started touring. And then soon after that, that's what man that's when when the drummer quit that's when we started playing drums with our feet and that went on for over a year until Jeremy right until Jeremy yeah but I mean I played the cymbal with my foot they played and played guitar and sang and Josh played kick drum with his foot played guitar and sang yeah and Jeff played bass and hi-hat and sang so the mouths were working bodies were working and the feet were working you know and I remember one time telling some guy goes man you guys that is really cool to watch but you were working way too hard and he's right man we would get done with those shows dripping in sweat yeah. and I remember when Jer- Jeremy started playing with us it was like it seemed too easy you know what I mean like so all I gotta do is play, play guitar. guitar like what do I do to this you know there's yeah. so much other stuff I'm used to doing you know 
each one of us is kind of going. <laughs> is that where throwing the gymnastics in came from? A little more, a little more free space. Yeah, that's when we started doing backflips off the stage and throwing confetti and turns into a turned into this. We wanted it to be as the live performance to be just as explosive as we could make it on a budget, you know. So I mean, I think we even tried fire one time. Yeah, we told the Levitt Shell that we wanted to shoot off fireworks in the middle of our set, and they told us no. Um, <laughs> But with anything within reason, we, we would build these elaborate stage. I mean, we're talking with a drill and some and some and some two by fours and and cardboard would layer over the top of it and screw the cardboard yeah. images in and create these lavish set designs. And the show was was just as important as the music. And 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 one did not sacrifice over the other. You know, like it. We worked real hard on that music, but then we also worked real hard on the show, mm-hmm. you know. And at a certain point, we were playing so many shows that we couldn't possibly... We tried. When we first toured, we, we carried the set around with us, and we would build it in the venues. It was nuts. Like, we were nuts. We were crazy. Some would even say, not that smart, you know. But we, we, I mean, we'd spend an hour and a half setting up the show before we would play for two people. So, a lot of people called us the hardest working band in, in, uh, in Tennessee at the time, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm not so sure that's what you want to be called. That yeah. means that you look like you're working too hard. Yeah. And you should work hard, but you should, you know, work smart, too. Yeah. We weren't working smart. Not in the beginning. We were working on a sheer heart, you know, the passion of something, the heart of something. That's what, that's what fueled us. I think it was always visible, man. Like, uh, it goes back to some of those live recordings that y'all had done in the studio with so much pain and, uh, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank, man. Enough? No, not enough. Everything. Everything, yeah. yeah. With that said, man, like, uh, you could see just... Sparks. It seemed like y'all were just setting each other off while y'all were having that time. Man, we've we. I appreciate you saying that because we sure we're having a good time. Well, not recording that song, but writing it. Yeah. And playing it, you know. But the recording process of of uh, that record was a little less to be, less to be desired, you know. But it was like what you hear, you know, locked in a studio. Not allowed to leave till yeah. you finish. <laughs> till you finish, you know. Not not the sp- spontaneous party that it looks like on TV. Yeah, you know. So, I mean, obviously we tried our very best, but we were we were just, you know, John Ham- the late John Hampton. You know, just a very well known and very well accomplished. Uh, producer, engineer from Arden. He always called us liquid concrete. I love that. It's not good, not bad. It's not, you haven't, you I mean, it's been poured, but it hadn't set. It ain't set. You know, and when we would hire producers, 
you know, I had to I had to kind of leave that job behind once I joined them because it, it it needed to be a subjective. I didn't I shouldn't have had I didn't feel like I needed to have that much influence over the band, yeah. you know. And I didn't want to. I, I wanted to just kind of sink back into the artist role, yeah, which is what I started out doing, mm-hmm. you know. But I walked away from it, and I was glad to be back, you know. So I kind of. It was a struggle. That was. I remember trying to release control over everything, and it was, it was hard to do. But it felt good to do it once it happened. Yeah. You know, I was, I was so used to calculating every next move as their producer, and, and it's hard to like. Okay, well, let whatever happen happen. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. And they'll tell you, like, they probably didn't enjoy being around. I know Jeff didn't enjoy being or being in the band with me in the beginning, but we we became best friends yeah. over over time. But that 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 immediate relationship was, you know, who is this guy telling me where to put my bass and where to put my bass on stage and how things should look on stage. What What are you talking about? I'll do whatever I want. Right. You know? And Josh would always say, Jeff, do you? have a plan and he's like no I'm just gonna put it where I went and he goes well Nick has a plan so let's follow that plan you yeah. know but I don't know I, I just in, I saw so much in them always have still do I, I saw so much in, in them I just my vision for that band was was one that was not just touring but was playing stadiums you know that's I still think that's what it is. I still think it's it, it belongs in the stadium. Mm-hmm. That kind of um, music. It's just it's just it's just that sound, you know. Not every not every sound needs to be, yeah. You know, um, put out in that that particular way. Some sounds are better in a small venue. Some sounds are better. It festivals, you know, some sound. You ever notice, like, you know, some bands, they're huge, but then they play a festival and they sound. It just doesn't. It's not good. Translate, yeah. you know. And then some bands, you know, don't sound good in a lot in a small venue, but sound great mm-hmm. in a stadium. And I just always thought, Star Mighty belonged. Their songs and their their music was more of a stadium act, you know. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that, man, because I, uh, I think at the beginning, uh, y'all were ahead of your time with the music before it was at the time, especially when y'all were a three-piece before Jeremy, with like everybody doing different percussion. <laughs> it was kind of like a Mumford & Son or a Lumineer thing, you know? You know, I, we hear that a lot. Um, we hear that a lot, but, you know, I remember when... We were always kind of at that point, you know, right around the corner, you know, not far enough ahead to to really claim first prize, but just and didn't have the notoriety if even if we were, you know, but we we reinvented ourselves so many times every time every time someone would like when we would be doing the foot percussion and Mumford and Sons comes out and we go oh crap mm-hmm. they're doing exactly what we're doing right now and they're getting famous for it 
Well, we'd get bored, and we'd throw the folk percussion away, mm-hmm. and we'd say, now we're rock and roll. Yeah. Or now we're going to be folk, you know, whatever. Yeah. And we're, or when we were a six-piece, you know, that, that's when we had a violin and an accordion player, and we were playing gypsy-style train beats and this huge party. I mean, it was like, what? What is... It was just so many versions of yeah. the band and so many looks and styles and... That's that's what I enjoyed so much about Star Micey was that journey of you know, we were never we were never sitting in one place too long. We were always like, Oh, this is cool, now let's move. And the ability to explore all of those musical styles mm-hmm. from European bulk music, you know, to to just two minute pop songs to remix, you know, to electronic to folk to just banjos just deep country music and like whatever we wanted to do that day is mm-hmm. what we did you know and so like over time with the songwriting man was this uh was this uh you or josh would come to the table with a song and then everybody would put their part in or would y'all co-write everything together or how did that look like at the uh as y'all went along um at first it was josh we played Josh's songs, mm-hmm. and they encouraged me to start playing mine, and then it kind of became a, again, check my facts on this one, at some point it became just Josh and I, I think I think in the beginning it was Josh and I writing the songs together. Like I just really loved, I mean, we wrote so many songs together. But later, I think it became, in the more recent years, it started to become, okay, well, this is a Josh song or this is a Nick song, you know. But in that kind of defined um, Star and Micey, you know, it was the, the records, it's either Josh or Nick singing as far as um, whose song, depending on whose song it is. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, we we would I would sing Josh songs and see how they sounded, and vice versa. And he would sing my songs, see how mm-hmm. they sounded. And we were completely. And we would get Jeremy to sing the songs. You would get Jeff to sing the songs. You know, mm-hmm. live. The big idea was that everyone would sing. Yeah. And they and they do. And it didn't you matter know, if it was a Josh. It didn't matter. Song, it was Star Massey song. That's that was the big idea, but you know. Uh, and that's kind of where it remains today, mm-hmm. you know. Is our favorite thing to do is to have alternating verses. So, I'd sing the first, or Josh like sing the first. Exactly. That that was a. F- we really latched onto that model of everyone having a a verse that was their voice, and then when the courses come. It's four-part harmony. Mm-hmm. And, man, like, with that song, like, even if, like, I was just getting familiar with the band, like, uh, when you share a verse or songs like that, uh, after hearing previous songs, mm. yeah, I know that's Nick. I can tell by the way he writes. I know that's Josh. That's the way he writes. Yeah, I think... And, and it, like, ties in your worldview, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I'd be like, well, I know, I know whose lens we're looking through here. Right. And so it's interesting seeing... And then having a chorus, it just, it's right there in the middle. 
we, we, man, Josh and I, all of us, I mean, all of us have that chorus addiction. We're addicted to the big yeah. chorus, you know. We're, it's, 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 that's what I like to say. I think we're addicted to those. We love them. Yeah. We love hitting that big chorus, you know. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you're right. You know, you're absolutely right. It, 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 it's, one, it's one of the things that attracts me to that band to this day is that, I don't know, I think, I think maybe each one of us would have gotten bored if it was just one person and one person's lens mm-hmm. the whole ten years. I just don't think any of us... Maybe, maybe we all have too big of egos to... I don't know what it is, you yeah. know, but we... We thrive on 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 uh, being able to go through those lenses throughout a set, and you know maybe maybe I didn't write anything that that day or week, mm-hmm. you know. And Josh wrote two phenomenal songs. Well, there you go. That's what you know. We never stopped. Yeah. We never stopped writing. We never stopped playing new songs. Um, the sheer amount of music that hasn't been recorded but written. My biggest fear is that it doesn't get recorded mm-hmm. and it gets forgotten about. Because, I mean, how many songs can you remember every part of, you know? We try to record cheap versions of them, you know, yeah. and keep up, but there was definitely a period of time where we were writing music faster than we could possibly get it down, get it down you know? I've, I've had that happen, man. Not, not to y'all's level, but, like, just say I wrote a song eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And... I myself forgot about it five years ago, and I, I go flip through the notebook and I find it, and I'll be like, oh, "Yeah, man, I remember that being great." You know, oh, I, I really liked it's that. It's like a brand new song again. Yeah, yeah. My biggest, my biggest fear is it would definitely be not having a record of it all. Yeah. And only because right now we only probably have a record of. It'd be. I mean, it's probably ambitious to say half. It's probably less. Mm-hmm. You know. But we're all young. There's yeah. plenty of time to get this stuff recorded. And so just... But yeah. Even apart from Star Massey mm-hmm. is... Um, you got Black Betty with Josh now. Awesome. And uh, awesome. I can't wait for that to come out. Jeremy Stanfield's got his song. Have you heard it? Have you heard he Black shared, Buddy City? He shared a couple of songs. Uh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Is it, it's, it's I've not, heard the whole thing. It's not out, yeah. out yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but it's I've fantastic. I've heard alone, and uh, I think he shared one other song off of it. <laughs> is it is it the one that has the uh, Nintendo eight bit music? I didn't. Wait, do you hear? It's no, great. No, it's just it was it's just great. me and him sitting down and he played. He had this guy. No, take that back. It, it was just alone because uh, he did so much pain. He did. Uh, he did that. Oh, it's great. He he had a guy who composes in just eight bit sound, which is like Nintendo music. Yeah, compose the this score that he wrote to one of his songs <laughs> it's, it's it's just great man I told him I said you need a whole album of just this cause it's just that good yeah. I, I don't know what it is about it that works but it works and uh but in true Josh fashion he he just did one of them and went on to the next thing yeah you know but the the album is awesome I love it and so, I mean, you obviously are right, and you just wrote, you just shared a song you just wrote a couple of days ago. Um, just as far as um, 
your solo project as far as playing out, or is, uh, is that kind of on hold right now for you, or what's that look like? It's all very alive and well. It just there are certain periods, you know, so you music. Just... Yeah, there's for sure. Um, music was a gigantic priority for me my entire life, mm-hmm. and I think. Whereas Star Mice still, we still get together once a week and play, and and we're still recording music, writing music, and 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 accepting shows. You know, it's nothing is is is. You know, we made a pact a long time ago. We'll never stop. You know, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I write a song whenever I hear it in my head and if I get a chance to record it I'll record it and I'll put it out on the internet if I remember to do it <laughs> but in the meantime you know I'm about to get married and there are focuses that are that I'm definitely attracted to as far as a priority at the, sure. at the, in the immediate future but as far as music goes it's in my blood it'll never go away and I think all of us have proven that in the past 20 years. You know, all four members of Star Mice. Star Mice was, in short, a collection. It was four music lovers and four brothers that got together and had a really good time mm-hmm. and are still having a really good time, you know. But as individuals, like you said, there are certain things when you play when when as the Star Mice or any band brand solidifies. There's some music that doesn't necessarily belong. Belong, mm-hmm. you know. And for Josh and Jeremy and Jeff um, and myself, we've given those outlets a little more attention lately, um, and they de- and they deserve it, you know. All those songs deserve to be put out, mm-hmm. you know, because as as a whole, Star Mice, there is this entity that we filter music through. But there are songs that should also be heard from Jeremy and Josh and myself, and you know, that 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 should be heard as well. Mm-hmm. So, I think we're we're all giving that individual lens a little more attention because when we get together. I mean, it's on. Yeah, you know, it's 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 like getting in the seat of, of a, getting on the back of a horse you've been riding for fifteen years. You know, it's you know what to do. Kinda, you know what to do. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's it's muscle memory. Yeah, for sure. Brother, anything else to add or subtract? When are you putting out a record, man? That is a. Uh... That's something that I have been thinking about over the past year, and so like I've got um, probably right now about fifteen songs. That I'm, That's more than enough for a I, record. I really believe it. That's three records. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, some of them are from an old band I had, the General Specific, and then uh, ten of them are what I've wrote since the General Specific's not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've just been trying to figure out how I want to record it, like. Uh, like, do I want to go? Because um, I've done a studio before, and that was a, it was a good experience. It was a guy who was teaching me how to play guitar. Yeah, 
and uh, I've done all the music that you heard on that album with the exception of drums because I couldn't play drums. Wow. And so um, I like that. I may go back with him, but I'd like to record it off what I got here. Maybe. You know, and you heard it here first, folks. With what you're doing, the way you're doing it, and going and speaking with the musicians, you know, you might, you might consider putting the skeleton together and as you travel I'm having people fill out the parts and mm-hmm. you know that was you'd be thing. very surprised it probably what comes from that yeah. in a good way so what I had in mind for this was like one of the songs I've got um, I don't know if we may run out of time but I was going to run out there and get the guitar and this is for the episode before this one yeah it's called Taj he's a drummer from mm-hmm. Starville mm-hmm. and uh I, was, I told him I was, I'm going to Memphis this weekend. He's mm-hmm. like, are you going to play some music? And I was like, well, here's the thing, and this is what I'm thinking with my recording process is I literally just got this song. Mm-hmm. Like, I just wrote it down. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see if I can flesh it out. Yeah. I want to ask someone who's never heard it, is it worth a crap? I mean, what do you, is there a potential? What do you think? You know? Well, let's do and it. Let's play it. Let's do it. Let me go get my guitar. All right. News and notes. This episode ended abruptly, didn't it? I would ask if you hadn't done so already that you would rate, review, like, subscribe, comment, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's Porch Talk. And uh, you can find us. It's the same logo as the podcast you just listened to. It's pretty intuitive there. You can find us there. So as I rushed out, after pressing stop on the recording to get my guitar out of the truck and to rush back in, and to play this. I did not, I lost confidence in this. I had just wrote in that guitar piece two days before I went to Memphis and I hadn't even written the words. I knew that I would be traveling through some meandering back roads in Alabama. Up to 78, the corridor. Up to Tupelo. And then eventually to Memphis. And that I would have everything I needed to write the song. And so I did on a memo. But I didn't share it. I shared Georgia. That's a two or three year old song that I had written. But it was still a skeleton. Just like this is. And uh, you can hear that one on the latest episode. And Nick helped me flesh it out. So that version of Georgia is different than... If you've ever heard Georgia, you haven't heard that Georgia. And uh, that was a one and done. I don't do mulligans here. I don't do redos. I don't give my guests redos. It's what you did is what you did. So I've done the same for myself. And so the last episode, that was the the new, still not polished version of Georgia. But, uh, yeah, that was cool. And so the recording process, and I'm excited to uh, talk about it, I guess, as Nick brought it up with the album is for I guess till end of spring of 2020 as we do this podcast I'll carry my songs around and we'll begin to put some flesh on that bone and then maybe by mid 2020 I'll be recording and I'll invite those guests back to help me finish those songs and we'll have a really cool project on our hands how's that sound but now, we got to close. Nick is going to close us out. 
And so you heard, uh, if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, the beginning of this. But here's the ending, and the recording flawed on me, so I don't have the beginning. But here's the the break to the end. So thank y'all so much. Peace out.
was the name? That was... That's the one you just named? Yeah, we'll go with... Uh, that first part got cut. Oh, that's fine. Um, man, it's so new it doesn't even have a name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever the name you guys want it to be, you go ahead and email Alan. <laughs> Thank you, man. Or carrier pigeon. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.